are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. We've been stepping into a series here called Family Is and really laying about a, a foundation of who we are as a church. And uh, we found out that family is Christ-centered, spirit-led. Family is love. Family is honoring. Family is genuine. Family is impacting. And family is, is uh, uh, em- empowering. And, and this morning, I'm actually talking about sort of uh, part two to empowering. Last week, we kind of talked about the, the whole philosophy of who we are. In our family, we emphasize the importance of equipping We are committed as a team of believers to see our family taught and equipped with skills to reach people with the gospel. We understand that there are seasons when we receive, but we also understand that we have to pour out for the word states that as freely as we receive, we shall also freely give, which is in Matthew 10.8. Let me just pause for a second, and I know Jarl's here with his, with his brand new baby girl, and uh, she's out there right now with Mama, but we just make sure afterwards you come alongside them and, uh, and see this darling that the Lord has blessed them with. Amen? Amen. Baseball great Doug Rader said, if experience was so important, we would never had anyone walk on the moon. That is a powerful statement. See, experience is important. We learn things. We learn out of the logic side of our brain that that if we touch a stove, it's going to burn, that it's probably not a good idea to touch that burner. We learn from the, the logic state that when something happens that brings forth hurt, that maybe that's not a good way to be able to, to function our life. But the problem is, is if we live our life out of the logic side of the brain, we'll never, ever do anything great for the kingdom. Because God has got, God is a very creative God, and God has some supernatural things for us. And if all we ever do is do what we've learned in the past, we're not going to have a very bright future. We have to be willing to step into the supernatural. We have to be willing to step into that place where Holy Spirit is leading us and say, you know what, this is, this is new territory, God, but I am willing. In fact, I found that spiritual maturity has less to do with long-range visions, plans, and goals, and more and more to do with moment-by-moment surrenderings to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The way that we see the world as a people, I believe it's totally different, or it can be totally different than the way that Jesus saw it. You know what, for a, a quick example, let's take a look at Jesus when he ran into blind Bartimaeus. Mark 10 says, When they reached Jericho, And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting on the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. Many people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. You know, that's a key word there. He stopped. And said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. So Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man, said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. 
You see, the world saw a blind Bartimaeus as a distraction. Okay, get ready. Jesus is coming. Oh, man, this is going to be good. Oh, we're going to get to see Jesus. And all of a sudden, this beggar, you know, usually beggars are dirty. Usually they're laying in the dust, in the muck and the mire. Usually they're not someone that we, maybe we'd want to sit beside and have lunch with. Maybe they smell. Maybe, maybe they're just not publicly acceptable. And with them sitting there, and he starts to scream, and he starts to shout. I don't know. Maybe it was a fear that's like, oh, my goodness. If you don't be quiet, maybe Jesus isn't even going to come down here. Quiet! You're being a distraction. Get out of the way. Be silent. But then Jesus, his eyes were open. That when he walked in that place, he stopped. And he didn't say, you know what, man, you are distracting me right now. You are hindering me right now from what the Lord has got for me to do. He stopped and said, bring that man to me. See, the, the world saw him as a distraction. But the Son of God saw it as an opportunity to be able to advance the kingdom of God. Are our eyes open? In our culture, in our society, you know what? We are busy people. We work. We have family we have kids, sports, schooling events. Man, my three kids right now, since we live in, a, in the Lakeland region, we've got them all in swimming lessons. I think that's important, uh, 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 important for them to be able to learn because we're surrounded by water. We go down to the beach in the summertime. It's a great, great place to bring the kids and have a, a nice picnic or a nice barbecue or get together with people. But our eyes aren't always on the children, and they need to know how to swim. But now, with all three of them, they're all in three different classes at three different times. And you know what? I hate it. My whole Saturday is gone for swimming lessons. I, I, we go to the, the first lesson, and, and, and they go, and all the families come in, and the place is a zoo, and then the families get to collect their kids, and they le- leave, but I still have to stay there. And then the next people all come in, and the next lesson started, and I'm there too. And then they all come in, and they all leave, and I'm still there. And then the third lesson, my goodness, I hate it. Swimming lessons come, and Sydney's like, can you take the kids to swimming lessons? I'm like, no! What did I do to you to punish you today? Why should I go? Like, uh, and she's like, well, I got stuff to do. I'm like, I got stuff to do today. What are you doing? I, uh, I'm, well, stuff. <laughs> We're a busy people. We're a busy culture. But yet, we can get so consumed with busyness that we will miss what the Lord is placing right in front of us on a daily basis. There's no sin in being busy. Jesus was busy. But yet Jesus stopped. He was never too busy to see someone who was crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. See, I believe that God places people in our lives daily because we are his plan. I think we can sit back and say, you know what, Jesus doesn't really have a plan for my life. Are you, are you crazy? You are his plan. We need to be equipped. We need to be empowered. We need to be able to step in that place because we have inside of us the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. But if we become so tunnel-visioned, we will never see what the Lord brings and lays at our feet and say, will you stand up? 
will you be the man, the woman that I've created you to be? Because that person needs me right now and you are me with flesh on. We are his plan. We are his purpose. You never know what Holy Spirit will bring your way or the ramifications of a simple conversation. You know what? God blows me away. I think that sometimes we get to minister to somebody and then that spider webs. And as that spider webs, we may never, ever know the ramifications that that one conversation had until glory. I, I know for myself, I was interning for Hayward out in, in Kalmar, and we were doing this children's, uh, this children's event. And every Thursday, I would go around. Cindy and I would go, and we were engaged at the time. We'd go into Kalmar, and every single Thursday, we'd go door to door and visit every single one of the kids in the Sunday school group. How's your week? How's things? Here's your lesson. How's your, your, are you memorizing your scripture? Great. Here's what's coming on. This is what's going on. Da, da, da. And we just walk with the kids. And all of a sudden, parents started getting saved. And parents started coming out of the church. It was awesome. There's this one, this one guy that I'll never forget. His name was Ron Smallwood. And we went over to Ron's place, and, 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 uh, and uh, we just started talking about the Lord. And, and Ron invited us in around the coffee table. And we sat down. And we started chatting. And, uh, and Ron said, yeah, you know, I would go to your guys' church. You know, we're fairly new in this community, but uh, to be honest with you, we don't really like the pastor. And Cindy says, well, that's my dad. Um, but uh, I, I think that if you get to know him, you'll find that he's a really a great guy. And, of course, now the guy's so embarrassed. He's like, oh, my goodness, I just told his daughter that I don't like him all. So he, I, I don't know, he kind of backtracks. like, well, you know, I don't really know the guy. Uh. And sure enough, he came out to church, maybe out of guilt. I don't know why. But Ron got saved. And he brought his wife, and she got saved. And then that family started coming to church, and they started pouring into the house, and they started serving. And then Ron got, uh, uh, one day he got convicted by the Holy Spirit that he wanted him to leave his work and go and join Bible college. So he left Bible college, and Ron became a pastor. And then Ron left the pastoring place and got his master's and started teaching at the Bible college. It's spiderwebs. That's one story that I know about. How many do I have no idea what has happened? Here's a great video to kind of show you what I'm talking about. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now, is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. 
He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. How can we be empowered? How can we be prepared for this? I think it's by slowing down and taking a moment to see what Holy Spirit is presenting. For example, we understand that a cold lake is very transient. The majority of people who go to church for the first time, we go to church with an agenda. You know what I'm going to do, and I hate that word, I'm church shopping right now. Well, what does that mean? You know what church shopping means? It means that you're going to go to a church, and you're going to see what programs are available. Do they meet the needs of your kids? Do they meet the needs of your, your, your teens? Do they meet the needs for you? And we just sit there and we look and we say, yeah, yeah, I think that one is going gonna, is gonna to feed me. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. But an empowered people is something completely different. An empowered people, and you know what? Let's say three years from now, whether you're a military guy, whether you're an oil person, whether the Lord takes you and your family and places you someplace else, you have an opportunity there not to be like the norm but to go into a church, and not necessarily the largest church to say, you know what, I'm going to go to that one because they have the most programs for me. But to go to that place and, and listen to the vision, which is very important, we need to know what the vision is to say, and can I be part of this vision? Is this vision who I am? And once we understand that, yes, I believe in this vision, yes, I can serve in this vision, then we naturally step into that place that God has called us. Instead of receiving and taking, we become people who give and serve. As an empowered people, I suggest that we go into that with a completely different mindset. You know what? We see that uh, this sets us up uh, completely different. It sets us up for, for, for wanting what the Lord has for us. I remember when, again, I was interning for Hayward 
I, I went to Kalmar with the understanding that I was going to be Hayward's children's pastor. And he says, you know what, Lance, I want you to start a children's program. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll start up a children's program. And, and I remember sitting in Hayward's living room with Cindy and Effie and Hayward, and we were throwing around names to kind of what this children's program is going to look like, what it's going to be. And we came up with the name Power Source. And we're like, yeah, that's, that's the one. And we ran with it. And again, it started to grow, and we got to do the visitation on Thursdays. And, and, and you know what? I'm working in Edmonton as a, as a cook at the time, trying to put myself through school. And at the time, I, was, I, I did eventually move in with Effie and Hayward. But uh, at the time, I was still living in Edmonton when we first started that. So I came out, and I committed to coming out on Thursdays and Sundays and, and, and stepping in that place. But I had, a, I had to go to school full-time. I had, I had uh, uh, to work full-time to get myself through school. And now I'm, I'm pastoring kind of part-time. And, and I remember sitting down with Hayward, and Hayward says to me, he says, Lance... I want more of you. I don't want you just to be a children's pastor, but I want you to really experience what church life is like. And I'm like, oh, no. What does that mean? He says, you know what, Lance? I want you to preach on Sundays. Lance, I want you to come to board meetings with me and see how I run board meetings. You know what, Lance? I want you to be able to sit down with couples and do counseling with them. And then the last thing he says, Lance, I want you to lead worship. I'm like, no. That's where I draw the line. Sorry, man, this guy don't sing. I said, I will not lead worship. And he says, Lance, we are in a little church right now. And he says, and a pastor in a little church has to be willing to step up and do whatever it is. Because if we don't, it doesn't matter whether you're gifted in that area or talented in that area. If we don't step up, there's going to be nobody to step up and do it. And then we decide that we're going to just do nothing for that Sunday. So he says, I want you to be able to step into every single area. And I fought with him that, on that, and I fought with him. And then finally, I remember the very first time I led worship in, in, in Kalmar, we had one organist and me. And the organist started to play, and, and she played very traditional. She started to play, and, and I came in, and I, and I started to sing. And she was doing one song, and I was doing a completely different song. And it just, oh, man, it was not harmony. It was just dissonance. It was just like, bah, bah. it was just awful. And I just said, okay, let's just, let's just try that again. So I said, okay, from the top, and she started playing again. And I started singing. It was like, bah, bah, bah. It, just, it would not go together. And I'm like, I'm embarrassed now. And I'm looking at Hayward. I'm like, you know, you made me do this. How would you do this? Like, I told you I didn't sing. I told you that this is awful. I didn't want to do this. I can't sing. I can't even, I can't even get this, this first song started. So I looked at the congregation in frustration. I said, okay, you know what, guys? We're going to just stop. I said, the Lord knows our heart, and he knows that we can't sing that song. Let's move on to the next one. And we did, and that one worked out, and we just kind of went from there. And I said, okay, let's do that one 25 times because it's working. <laughs> Little did I know that later on in life, when I started pastoring in Edmonton, that there was a season that the church asked me to step in as a worship pastor. I would have never been able to do that unless I said, you know what? Yes, Hayward, I will. Mike Love is a great friend of mine, and Mike is the director of YC, and I remember him telling me one time, he said, you know, Lance, it's so hard to find youth pastors right now. I said, really? I said, there's all kinds of youth pastors. We why, why would you say that's hard? He says, you know why it's hard? Because when youth pastors leave churches, they want an established work. 
as youth pastors graduate from school, they want to become the pastor of some large church. They want to become the, the, the youth pastor in Evangel. They want to be the youth pastor of Mill Woods. Because there's, there's, a, there's a, a stigma that comes with that. You know, these young youth pastors, they get together and they say, yeah, so how are you? Good. What are you doing? Oh, I'm the youth pastor at this church. Well, how many kids do you got coming out? Oh, we're about 200 on a Friday night. How about you? Well, I'm in Barhead, Alberta. Oh, really? How many youth you got coming out? About four. And it's like, oh, yeah, must be a pretty easy job. But you see, nobody wants to take the risk of starting something from scratch. They want the established work. They want the the time that people have poured in before them to build that youth group and then take the prestige that comes alongside of it. You know, one of the coolest things is that when I finished my internship and we got together with our class and we just started talking about what we learned that year, I was the only one in the internship class that said, I counseled, I preached, I led worship, I, I looked after board meetings, I did this and I did that. You know what, honestly, I think about 50% of the class, so what did you learn in your internship? I learned to set up chairs. And I, and I tore down chairs. And you know what, there's nothing wrong with serving. And there's nothing wrong with stepping into that place of serving. But yet I grasped so much more because I was willing to go to some place that needed me. When Jesus came to the earth, he was not recognized amongst his own people because they thought that he was coming as a conqueror and not as a redeemer. They thought that he would tear down the Roman rule and establish his kingdom here on earth. The cross blew away his own disciples who didn't think that it was possible for they were expecting the Lion of Judah to reestablish the throne of David and they were not expecting the sacrificial lamb. Man, hindsight's 20-20, isn't it? Because we can look at at the word of God and say, Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, for coming as a sacrificial lamb. Because God, you had the authority to be able on the cross to say, I call down a legion of angels right now to wipe out the people for putting me on here. But you didn't. In fact, the very last words that you said before you died was, it is finished. And Lord, if it wasn't finished, today we would not be able to receive the fruit that you did on the cross. And even though your disciples didn't understand what you were doing, and they scattered for that season because they were just, it was total chaos. This is not supposed to be happening. He's not supposed to die. He's supposed to lead us out of the oppression from the Romans. What is going on? One of the disciples sold him out. But it's finished, and we can see the whole picture now because of the, the time, and, the, and, and we've read the beginning, and we've read the end. Men and women who are filled with the Spirit, be cautious. For entitlement can release a series of events. It can bring us to anger, bitterness, envy, and jealousy. James 4 says, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war and take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even if you were to ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what brings you pleasure. You adulterers. 
Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the Scripture means when they say that the Spirit of God has placed within us and filled with us with envy, but He gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires? As the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. You know what? This last weekend, the men just returned from a men's retreat. And the speaker started out the series with a question. It says, are you serving the God that you want or are you serving the God that is? That is a really poignant question. Because in North America, or and, and, and again, I think that this may be even a global thing. I don't know. But we, we, we take a look at that and even the Lord is talking about that in this very scripture. You know what? You want what you want, but you don't want what I want. What is the God that you're serving? Is it the God that you want? You know what, Lord? I, I, I want you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, I want you to be part of my life. And Lord, I know that your word says, God, I know that it says that in order for you to forgive me, that I have to forgive others. But Lord, I'm sure that when you wrote that scripture, God, that you didn't have an idea at that time what that person was going to do to me. So I'm sure that I'm exempt with the, with, the, with the Pastor Lance clause that falls upon that because, Lord, I was serious hurt, so I don't, there's no way that I can forgive. You know what, you know what Lord, like, 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 like this, this last scripture here, God, I can live what, the way I want to, Lord, and everything is going to be okay. I can live lukewarm, uh, Lord, because I, you know, I, I want to, I, I kind of have one foot in the world and one foot in, 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 in the church, but God, like, like really, that, that whole scripture that you say about the lukewarm you're going to spit out of your mouth, you don't really mean that, God, do you? Because you're a God of love, a God of grace. And Lord, I'm sure that won't apply to me. And the Lord's saying, you know what? My word is my word. And yes, I am an all-loving God. Yes, my grace is for, sufficient for you. But I am the God who is. And we can't just take our scissors and cut out the scriptures we don't like because it doesn't really fit in our mindset. And empowered people are people who understand that we are in the world but not of the world. This world truly is the shortest time period of an eternity with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5 says, uh, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know what? It's going to be good. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. When that time comes, man, I can't wait to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. This vision that we're talking about is the vision that the Lord has given the body. It's not my vision. It's not the Lord, it's, 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 not, it's not the board's vision. It's our vision. And when we're serving here, it's kind of like, Lord, okay. Family is. I'm part of the family. I need to be Christ-centered, spirit-led. I need to be love. I need to be honoring. God, I need to be genuine. I need to be real. Lord, I need to be an empowered person. God, I need to be impacting. I can't be an ostrich with my head in the sand and just say, well, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, and that's the, way that, that's the way that it is. Friends, we need to watch our six. I threw that in there for our military guys this morning. Love ya. 
For it's so easy to fall into a rut and become complacent, isn't it? One of the greatest weapons ever formed against the church is complacency. Complacency means a feeling of quiet pleasure or security, often while unaware of some potential danger. We are a family. We are his bride, and each one of us has a purpose. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a picture. This picture won a Pulitzer Prize, which is the highest honor for a photographer. It was taken in Sudan during a massive time of famine, and the photojournalist wanted to snap a picture to show the world what was happening. Before I show you this picture, I want to warn you. This is not a nice picture. In fact, it's a downright sad picture. And if you have little ones right now in this service, you may want to step out. I debated showing this picture, for truly I don't like it. Yet it's the perfect picture to give us a glimpse into a truth about the spiritual realm that we may not understand. Understanding that we truly do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with principalities. Here's that picture. In this photo, we see images which cause us to think, what happened? But before we get to this photo, let me tell you what you can't see in this photo. See, to the right of this picture is a food truck that just pulled into town. And when the food truck pulled into town, there's a village in the background there which is empty because when that food truck came in, the people stormed the food truck trying to grab something from this truck, trying to grab some type of supply to be able to look after their families. They started shoving, they started pushing, they started fighting. In fact, it became a scene of total chaos. When that happened, out of the truck, a photojournalist was in the truck, and he heard with his ear a whimper. As he turned and looked, he saw this little girl crawling, trying to make her way to this truck to get relief. Probably hours away from death. So in his own words, he sat down underneath of a tree. He pulled out a cigarette, lit it, grabbed his camera, and waited for the best shot to be able to take this girl. As he's waiting for this shot, a vulture flew into the picture. He thought, perfect. And he waited for that vulture to be able to flare its wings because if that vulture was to flare its wings, it would be a great shot. But that never happened. He sat under that tree for 20 minutes before he finally took this picture, which won him a prize. This photojournalist a little while after the photo was taken, committed suicide. In his journal, he wrote, I'm depressed. Without phone, money for rent, money for child support, money for debts, money. I'm haunted by the vivid memories of killing, killings and corpses, anger and pain, of starving or wounded children, or trigger-happy madmen, often police, of killer executioners. I have gone to join Ken, who is one of his recently deceased colleagues, and I will be with him if I am that lucky. 
I share this picture with you this morning because it is a reality of, a wor- of our physical and spiritual reality that this little girl represents. You see, if we are so caught up in ourselves, if we are so caught up in busyness, the Lord is going to bring people who are hours away from death spiritually and we are not going to notice it. The Lord is going to bring people who are crawling, looking for something, and we are going to walk right on by because we're busy. Those people are our neighbors. They're our co-workers. Man, that little girl in that photo might be even some of you in this room at this very moment. People are looking for help, and they're finding it in bars, in relationships with others, which takes them farther and farther into death. We have the answer. This picture is everywhere. And when Jesus tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, this is exactly what he's talking about. They matter. Our neighbors matter. Our co-workers matter. And the Lord is going to set up divine opportunities for us to be able to serve. But we just walk right over it because we're busy. We just step right on by and we don't realize what the Lord is saying. Please help my sheep. Please pour into my lambs. Others are like the photojournalist. Man, we love a story. We love to complain. We snap pictures. We post it on Facebook of things that we don't like, of issues that are bothering us. We judge, we critique, and criticize, yet we do absolutely nothing to help the ones that are dying. Some of us are like the people who are fighting over the scraps of food. You know, I look at this picture and I say, little girl, where's your mom? Where's your dad? Where's your brothers and sisters who left everything and just left you sitting there by yourself? We are a family. We need to step into family. And they're fighting over scraps. They're fighting over bread or over rice. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, come to me, those who are hungry, and you will hunger no more. Come to me, all those who are thirsty, and I will provide. Yet in this picture, there's still one other thing. One thing that is focused on what is important. That's the vulture. Man, when I see this picture, I can't help but say, Lord, what happened to this little girl? The Bible tells us that the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. I don't like this picture. I don't like what it represents. But there is an enemy who flies in and he smells death. And if we can't see what the Lord provides before us, He sees it. 
And he sits back and says, in hours you're mine. We all know friends, family who have walked away from the family of God through bitterness, through hurt. We need to come alongside of them and say, son, daughter, he loves you. Son, daughter, don't give up. It's when you throw in the towel, that is when you open yourself up and say, I give up. That's when the enemy swoops in and he's waiting like that roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. Every day he sits waiting for someone to give up, to turn their back on the Lord. He's waiting for that spiritual death to occur. Why does he want to destroy us? You know what? He has one mandate and it has not changed. The devil's mandate is to kill, steal, and destroy why? I'll tell you why. Because you were created in the image of God and he hates you. You were created to do something supernatural, something that is out of this world and he doesn't want that to happen. I think often when we see photos like this, our mind starts to race and we immediately blame God. God if you were real, why would you allow that to happen, God? We need to understand that God is all-loving. God is all-sufficient. But he has given us a free will to make our own choice. And sin was a choice that man made. In fact, every one of, this, of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we pray, we can pray with an authority against the things that at the cross, that we can pray with an authority against the things that cross purposes against the will of God. We have a challenge to not live a life focusing on wrong things, but as empowered people who actively live out the Great Commission. Eyes open, Lord, Lord, today, God, what are you going to bring in my, in my way today, Lord? God, help me to see. Lord, help me in my busyness to stop and just take a little look around and see what is lying right before me. Listening with our spiritual ears for that whimpering. We need to walk in grace and truly love like we've never been hurt. There's a saying that says, if we knew the power of a negative thought that we would never think negative again, I think if we knew how real the spiritual realm was, we would never stop praying and doing what it takes to help rescue those. You know, at the beginning of this, I said, if you have a child, you might want to step out. And you know why? You learn the hard way on this one. Cindy, I always get her to kind of look over my sermon to make sure that things are making sense and, and all that kind of stuff. Every week she, she goes over that and, and, and kind of reads it over for me. And she's reading over it and she didn't notice that Mackenzie came into the room. And Mackenzie came in the room right when Cindy was looking at this, per, this picture and she says, what is that? And, and Mackenzie's not a kid that you can just kind of brush off. So Cindy had to kind of tell her the story and immediately tears just splurred out of her eyes. She said, no, no, mom, no. 
And Cindy said to Mackenzie, Mackenzie, honey, would you just go out, let mama finish dad's sermon, and then you and I will have a talk. Just please, just go out of the room for a few minutes and we'll, we'll talk about this. And mom went back and finished reading her sermon. And after she finished reading her sermon, she went out to the kitchen. And Mackenzie had in her hands a whole bunch of canned food, a whole bunch of groceries that she just went in the pantry and just started grabbing and said, here, mom. Give it to her. Mom, take it to the food bank, mom. Mom, mom, we got to do something. A seven-year-old kid got it. My friends, we got to do something. We don't want to play church. We want to be the church. We need to be empowered. We need to be filled with his spirit. For when the Lord brings someone like that into our lives, we have the tools inside of us to make a difference, to bring salvation to that household. Would you stand with me? Father, Lord, I know that there's been opportunities, God, that I have missed, God. There's been people, Lord, that you've, been brought, you've brought into my life, God, who are bleeding and dying. And, Lord, I've stepped right over them, God. And, Lord Jesus, I ask your forgiveness, God. Because, Lord, if I have a meeting with somebody, or, Lord, if, if I have something that is brewing and I'm getting ready for something, God, nothing is more important than those that are dying and coming before us, Lord. And Father, as a congregation, Lord, would you forgive us corporately, Lord Jesus? For God, when we've missed those opportunities that you've placed into each one of our lives, would you teach us, God, that this Christian walk is not just a title, it's not just a badge that we get to wear on our church and say, I am a Christian. But God, it is a lifestyle of hope. It is a lifestyle of stepping into the supernatural, of having our spiritual eyes and ears, nose, everything 100% attuned to the situations that you bring before us. Lord, may we study the word. May we learn about spiritual warfare. May you teach us, God, how to pray and the importance, Lord Jesus, of being filled God, may we teach our families, Lord, in the areas where we have fallen short. For Father God, this next generation, Lord Jesus, needs to know more than we ever did, and they will go farther than we've ever did. But Lord Jesus, every single day we know is getting closer to the end. And Father God, as it comes, your word says that that's going to be a dark time. And we need to be prepared, God. So God, although I don't like that picture, and Lord, I wrestled all week. Should I show it? Should I not show it? Should I, should, I, should I play it? Should I not go down that vein and do something else? Lord Jesus, there's a truth that is in that picture, God. And may that truth burn into our, into our spirits that we will never, ever forget that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities. And Lord, if we're not going to make that difference, 
there's somebody who is focused on the prize. In Christ's mighty name, we ask it. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May you have a fantastic week in Jesus' name. And may he open up our eyes to situations and circumstances that are right before us. In Christ's name, be blessed. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Coley Community Church, a place where families come together.